When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Big thanks to Vossi and the Missile for setting the platform this morning on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're tuning in via SEN 1170 AM here in Sydney, anywhere on the SEN app, thank you for your company. If you're joining us belatedly on our podcast, make sure you stay tuned because we have got a lot on our plate again this morning. The forecast for Sydney, let's start there. Partly cloudy today, slight chance of a shower this afternoon, but it's going to be warm. So tops of 29 in the city and up to 31 in the west. Like I say, a full dance card today. Coming up, we'll talk about sackings, signings, surveys, upsets, upset superstars, and also a family tree to think about. Have you ever done a bit of ancestry digging around? I'm actually in the middle of doing some of that right now. Uh, I've got a trip overseas in a few weeks' time, and along the way I'm going to do something I've never done before, which is head off and try and find a little bit more about the white side of the family, the white family history. So on that, we're going to put a sporting take on that. So make sure you stay tuned and see if you want to play along for that one. You think about the amount of sporting families, great sporting families that we've got here in Australia. I want to I want to come up with our royal family, essentially. Who sits at the top of the tree and when you dig into your family history do you find have you found stuff especially on a sporting sense that you never knew was there i haven't found too much in the sporting that's not going to shock too many people who who played with or against me in any form of sport but i haven't found too many sporting you know superstars or anything that jumps out in that sense but i am starting to find out a little bit more obviously about the history down one side of the family tree so if there's anything around that that uh, tickles your fancy. Jump online and let me know this morning. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 You got any tips for me? Obviously, you got your Ancestry.com, etc., etc. Uh, but if you've got any tips for me, let me know. Any help, greatly appreciated. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. In football, Adam Kwasnick will have a chat with me a little bit later on. He's got some very interesting thoughts around Graham Arnold. Now, Football Australia have made it clear and... Adam Peacock has written about this uh, on Code Sports today. They want Graham Arnold to stay in charge right up to the next World Cup and obviously including to the next World Cup. Now, Arnie is in England at the moment, I believe, holidaying with his wife. And you reckon he'll be sleeping it off completely. I mean, that just must have been such an incredibly tiring exercise that he's been through. So... Hopefully he's enjoying every single minute of it and catching up on all that much-needed much needed sleep and getting rid of all the stress. So Football Australia said, yep, we're okay. Graham Arnold is the man that we want. Now, we know that there's rumours about John Aloisi, Kevin Muscat in the frame, but FA are going to speak with Graham Arnold first. And they say it's a deliberate move not to re-sign him straight away. The dust is still settling. Now, we all know it was a great success, so the review, I don't think, is going to see any gaping holes in it. But they need to do that review so they cover everything and also don't make any knee-jerk decisions. So, again, credit to Football Australia on this one. 
They've played it smart here. They've said we're going to back our man if he's up for it and we're going to wait around just a little bit to let him have some time, us have some time. We'll go through proper process. And then if all the stars align again, Graham Arnold will sign up. However, Adam Kwasnick thinks there might be a little bit of a little bit of change in the wind that perhaps Arnie might want to move on and have a look around. And he'd be certainly within his rights to do that. I'm not sure how much more there is for him to achieve in the next World Cup uh, cycle, aside from getting past the round of 16 next time around. So I'll have a chat with Adam Kwasnick about that, and you can have your say. Barat Sundaresan, now we know that he's a massive Michael Nisa fan. Massive. He is dead set leading the charge and has been for a long, long time. So is he in line to get a start at Adelaide Oval tomorrow? Paddy Cummins trained yesterday for about 30 minutes. Didn't bowl in the nets, but did train and his quad was heavily strapped. And what about this survey on where Australian cricket is at? Commissioned uh, by the Daily Telly. And it's come up with some... Well, it's come up with some points that, to be brutally fair, and I'll outline these soon, don't surprise me at all and shouldn't surprise you because you and I have been discussing this at length, almost word for word of what they've come up with on this survey of where Australian cricket is at, Paddy Cummins' role in all of this as well. It's interesting reading, but I'll tell you one thing, listeners, right here on The Morning Show, you're all over it, absolutely all over it. Matty Logue will join me this morning, the Chief Basketball Writer from News Limited, regular guest and great friend of the program. Larry Kesselman, the NBL boss, well, he owns the whole thing. He wants Paddy Mills to come back and lead a new Canberra franchise if they're accepted. So if they expand and Canberra get back on the boards, he wants Paddy Mills to be there, which is very, very good stuff and very obvious stuff. Paddy born in Canberra. He was a ball boy for the old Canberra Cannons before he went off to the USA and chased his basketball dream over there, playing college basketball, and now look where he is. He's got a contract at the Brooklyn Nets until the end of the 23-24 NBA season. He's 34 years of age, and wouldn't that be something of a homecoming for Paddy Mills and another feather in the cap of the NBL if they go down the expansion route with Canberra? And Jack Besgrove will join me too this morning He's part of our World Cup winning Australian Steelers men's softball team. So we won our second World Cup gold medal on Sunday in Auckland. And apologies for your name, but I remember that a listener did text in and and gave us the heads up on this one. We beat Canada in the final. It's our second World Cup win after success in 2009. So back in 09, and here we are in 2022, 13 years later, and we've won our second World Cup gold medal. Now, the family connection at the Steelers. This is what got me thinking about our family tree. Three generations of the Harrow family have now been involved across our two World Cup softball wins. The head coach of the Steelers is Lang Harrow. His late dad, Bob, was coach of the team that won in 2009. So 13 years apart, Bob Harrow was the coach first up, Lang Harrow, the coach, this time around, his son. Lang's brother, Mike, was a catcher in that winning squad back in 09. And Lang's son, Matthew, was a reserve in this tournament. So all these generations crossing over in the world of softball, Australian men's softball, and playing a major role in the successes that we've had at World Cup level. 2009, 2022. 
So let's start there this morning with our sporting dynasties. Now, we've been through this before in terms of great sporting dynasties in Australia, and we've got some absolute beauties. But who sits at the top of Australian sports family tree? If we had a royal sporting family, who is it? We've got, you know, the War Brothers in cricketing, for instance, Stephen, Mark and Dean, the Ella Brothers, Rugby Union, Mark, Gary, Glenn, I mean, the Chapel Brothers, Ian, Greg, Trevor. We've got the Campbell Sisters in swimming, Kate and Bronte, the Conrads, John and Ilsa. So brother-sister combination uh, back in the glory days of one of the early parts of the glory days of Australian swimming. The Mortimer Brothers in rugby league, Steve, Peter, Chris. We've got the Roycroft family in equestrian, Bill. Five Olympic Games. His daughter, Vicky, three Olympic Games. So we all know that we've got some great sporting siblings and family talent. But who sits at the top of Australian sports family tree? Who's our royal sporting family? Let me know this morning, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy or 0457 736 736. Now, FIFA World Cup this morning. Portugal, six. Switzerland, one. The final game of the round of 16, Portugal 6, Switzerland 1. Ronaldo benched, didn't start the match. Gonzalo Ramos did. And guess what he did? He scored three goals. In. Shot comes oh, in. It's a, goal. Goal. it's a lovely goal. What an angle. It's Gonzalo Ramos. The youngster. The man who came in to replace Cristiano Ronaldo has just done his job. <laughs> Drops to the right flank for Diogo Dalo. Here's Ramos oh, again. Oh, yes. Gonzalo Ramos at the front post oh, on the end story. of the short low cross from Diogo Dalo. Finger guns for Gonzalo. He has a brace in this match. Can Switzerland find a way? Here we go. Portugal are oh, in again. Ramos with a hat trick. He has he done it. it. He has done it. Gonzalo Ramos has put his what name up in lights. His name is Gonzalo Ramos. He is 21 and he has a hat trick in the round of 16 match at a World Cup. Uh, superstar alert, folks. Superstar alert. Look out. Here he comes. He's arrived. We'll be hearing a lot more about him. It's the first time since 2008 that Ronaldo has been benched for a Portuguese international match. He eventually came on in the 73rd minute, had a chance to score as well. But a Portuguese newspaper poll showed that 70% of those that took the poll didn't want Ronaldo in their starting side. 70% of them in Portugal don't want their hero starting. Well, the man who used to be their hero because Gonzalo Ramos has now taken over that mantle. What happens next time around? Well, next time they meet Morocco, who fought out a nil-all draw with Spain and ended up winning 3-0 on penalties. And that is the end of extra time, and we are going to a penalty shootout. Sarabia for Spain, and he's hit the posts, and it's ricocheted out, and Spain miss. Yassine Bono comes up with the goods. He stops Carlos Soler, and after two kicks each, it's Morocco 2-0. Walks up to the spot, and it's saved again by Bono. Far too relaxed, that penalty from Sergio Busquets. Ashraf Hakimi, and he blasts it down the middle, and Ashraf Hakimi has set Morocco to where they have never been before. Morocco are into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. First time ever, as called there on SEN. So two hours of scoreless play. Morocco's previous best 
World Cup was a round of 16 loss back in 1986. It's their second scoreless match of the tournament. They went nil all with Croatia in the group stage where there was no penalty shootouts, and they're now $36 to win the whole thing. So we're down to eight teams left, and they are eighth on the list of those favoured to win, 36 bucks. The Spanish apparently were taking 1,000 penalties in practice. Well, they might need to take 2,000 because it didn't work again. They lost that way in the finals, or the semifinals of Euro 2020 as well. So the quarters look like this. Saturday morning, Croatia v Brazil. Brazil $2.80 cup favourites. 6am Saturday, Netherlands v Argentina. Argentina are $5.50 third favourites. Sunday 2am, it is now Morocco v Portugal. Portugal, $8 to win the cup, but $1.50 odd to win that match. And then Sunday, 6am, the blockbuster. England v France, and France are $5 second favourites to win the tournament. So that's a wrap of the FIFA World Cup. Now, cricket. As we know, the Adelaide Oval Test starts tomorrow afternoon. It's a 3 o'clock start our time, as in uh, Australian Daylight Saving Time. Paddy Cummins, 30 minutes yesterday of work in the field and running around, likely fitness test today. I'm still thinking that he's more of a chance not to play. And therefore, Scott Boland is the man most likely to replace him. He was the only quick to bowl in the nets yesterday. And as we know, Michael uh, Nisa and Lance Morris are also in the frame. Mitchell Stark and Josh Hazelwood, they went and played golf. No problems. So no need to get into the nets for them. They went and played golf. I did see some images this morning from Barat's uh, Twitter feed of Manus Labuschagne in the nets on the inside, in the inside nets until 9pm last night. Wouldn't leave until he got one out of the middle of the bat. Now, this Australian cricket survey that's in the Daily Telly this morning by the company True North, a market research company, with the results on a survey about Pat Cummins and the Australian team. Have a listen to this. Cummins is hugely popular with younger people who do share his views on the environment, but they're not as loud on social media about that in the opposite way. He's in the middle of a generational divide, but overall's fundamentally popular. The Australian men's team bears the brunt of the failings of Cricket Australia and the sport's ability to shoot itself in the foot. Does this sound familiar? Low crowds are more about quality of opposition versus the popularity of the players. There's no long-term disconnect with fans and the Australian team can bounce back because winning is a key factor. We could have saved them the money, morning show listeners, because it's exactly what you and I have been saying. Winning is always everything. That'll change. There's a generational aspect. It's one of the key features that we've identified amongst a whole range as to why cricket is in the position it's in. Their bumbling on many issues hasn't helped. We pointed that out time and time again. And the opposition at the moment, with all due respect to those having a crack for the Windies, ain't must-see. So we could have saved them the money. Cricket Australia, tune on. Tune in. 1170. SEN, right here. Could have heard that over and over and over again. The only thing's missing there, the cost of everything. Money's hard to come by right now and splashing it out on tickets to go see a not must-see, non-must-see opposition ain't really cutting it. And fatigue, plus scheduling, T20 World Cup, WBBL, ODI, Test, BBL, Sheffield Shield. We've had enough, folks. So they're the only things missing out of that report. So we could have saved them the cash, but what it shows me is that we're on the money here. You and I have been discussing this at length, 
And it's about time that Cricket Australia started listening to you, the listeners, the supporters, the fans, those that invest in the game and probably want to take uh, take a bit of a listen to this market research as well because it's bang on. Did you see this about Elise Perry? She's been handed a one-match ban for a slow overrate in the WBBL final against the Adelaide Strikers at North Sydney Oval, which, of course, the Strikers won, the Sixers lost. It was her third strike in the competition, so three strikes, you're out, you get a one-match ban. She's going to miss... Now, this... <laughs> look, let's put this in perspective, right, uh, of everything that we've just said about Cricket Australia. She's going to miss the first match of next year's WBBL, one of the most popular players Australia has ever produced. And I would dare say one of the most popular female athletes in the country is going to be ruled out of the opening match of the WBBL where they're trying everything they can to get as many eyeballs back into this game and we claim that we're all about everyone. They're going to rub out Elise Perry because of a slow overrate in a final that they lost where the strikers got all 20 overs, the sixers got all 20 overs, and the match was delayed because the sunlight was too much. The sunlight was in the batter's face throughout the Sydney innings. So we managed to call off for, well, temporarily put a halt on proceedings because the sun was too glary. This is how it played out. This is Amanda Jade Wellington from the Strikers who was on the mic at the time. This is how it played out in the WBBL final. Come on, it's cricket. Go and check it out for oh. us, Amanda. Just tell us exactly why? from... I just don't understand. I don't understand why we're waiting. Do you want to go down there and have a look for us? For us? Can, yeah. we get, can we get Stacey's thoughts here? This ball was supposed to be bowled two minutes ago. Oh. Now, just tell her to face up left-handed. Come on. Or both in the bowling from the other end. Come on. Oh, I'm old. I need to be able to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts here, huh? You, you got Sunny. You can have it. Yeah, but it's cricket. What are you going to do? Amanda, go and stand in the batting position yeah. and tell us what it's I, like. I can't. Uh, Caddy's sent Just there, move so. around. Yeah. She's already right. had a go. Hop in there and tell us what you think. I, you I don't understand why we're doing this. Susie Bates has got every right to ask. but Yeah, it's. what are you going to do about the sun? Can't. It's well, I, think, I think we just have to wait now. Well, well they've made the, yeah, yeah. Looks like the umpires have, have seen that it's fair enough. The only thing missing out of all that was the Benny Hill music. I mean, seriously, that was farcical. So a WBBL final can be halted because there's too much sunlight. You heard that right. Yet the game's going to remove its biggest star for the opening match of next season because of a slow overrate that had no bearing on the result. You are kidding yourself if you think that that is a good outcome. Rules are rules, but dumb decisions are still dumb decisions. Some other news today. Rugby union Eddie Jones sacked as coach of the English rugby union team. We'll discuss that in just a sec. Some signings in rugby league as well. So plenty for you to have your say. Should Football Australia just get a deal done with Graham Arnold or are they doing the right thing? Should Cricket Australia overrule the one-match ban to Elise Perry? Make sure one of the biggest stars in the game is there for the opening match next year. And who sits at the top of Australian sports family tree? Have your say this morning. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, or text 0457 736 736. We're looking for great sporting family dynasties uh, in Australia this morning. And who sits at the top of the tree? That's the important one. Who do you reckon is our royal Australian sporting family? And I mentioned the Roycroft family of Bill Roycroft. I mean, equestrian royalty, five Olympic Games. His three sons were there as well. And Vicky, 
His daughter-in-law competed at three Olympics as well. 0457 736 736 is the number. The Ella brothers is one shout-out and plenty of others, especially around the Cummings family as well. Now, before we get to the news, just a little bit more detail around what's happened over there at the English Rugby Union. Eddie Jones, well, the axe was hovering, hovering, hovering. Bang, it fell. He's gone. As they approach the World Cup, they're in search now of a new head coach. So Eddie Jones, over the past seven years, has had a 74% win rate at the English Rugby Union. Now, they haven't had some good results in the last six months or so, but he's got a 74% win rate over the past seven years and everything geared towards this World Cup. So now that begs the question, what happens next with Eddie Jones? And the obvious answer to that is, well, the Wallabies need to have a good look here. Do you think or not? Let me know. Should he replace Dave Rennie? 38% win rate. Could we say that the Wallabies have been building, building? Well, they got close on their on their most recent tour and ended up finally getting some wins on the board. Late coaching changes sound dramatic, but before a Rugby World Cup, they've been done before and they've been done with success before. South Africa put in a new coach less than 12 months before two Cup campaigns, uh, campaigns 95 and 2005. They won both of them. Australia won in 1999, our last Cup victory in 1999. Rod McQueen was put in charge less than two years before, less than, yeah, two years before that kicked over. So the Wallabies could make a move. Rugby Australia could make a move here. Do you think it's the right move? Would you look at Eddie Jones to come in? What are the pluses? There are minuses with Eddie. We know that. He's been there before and he's a different cat. But the numbers don't lie. 74% win rate versus the current 38% of Dave Rennie. Let me know your thoughts around that. Sam Walker's re-signed with the Roosters until the end of 2025. And Reid Marnie's turned up to training nice and early for the Bulldogs. And the Dolphins have announced that Morton Daly Stadium will now be known as KO Stadium. So that's kicked in uh, as of now. KO sponsoring the stadium up there for the new team. He's the, here's the news with Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. So today, hopefully, we'll find out if Pat Cummins is good to go tomorrow for the start of this second test at Adelaide Oval. Australia v West Indies. As I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, Barat Sundarason's uh, post on Twitter about uh, Marnus Labuschagne in the nets until late last night, where he just wouldn't leave until he got one out of the middle. Well, look, Barat's on the, Barat is on the line right now. Good morning to you, mate. Good morning, Matty. <laughs> and I've just seen Marnus's response to your tweet. He said, because you said how the, how the best get better. It's nearly 9.30 in Adelaide. Everyone else has left, but here he is refusing to budge from the net until he middled a drive. And Marnus has said, I was told I'd be doing a few late night drives when I became a new dad, <laughs> which is recent. He said, not totally sure this is what they meant, but he just wouldn't budge. I, th- I thought he'd gone indoors, but it was the outdoor nets. So he's there until late, huh? He was there until really late. Uh, not for the first time with Manus. Uh, yeah. or, or like, you know, any of these genius batters. I mean, they just are such perfectionists. Steve Smith is the same. And he had, Steve Smith left only, what, 20 minutes or so before uh, Manus got back in. And, and, and it was all about one thing, uh, Maddie. You're talking about someone who scored a double hundred and a hundred just three days ago. Um, and here he is refusing to leave the net before he just middles one drive. He was the defensive strokes were all right. He was happy with them, but he just wanted one to come off the middle of the bat. Um, and yeah, I mean, he kept asking Michael Devinito, the batting coach, what he, what what was up with him. 
uh, and then eventually they had to call it quits and uh, he turned around and asked me how he was going i said look uh you, know, you are getting better but like forget today there's always tomorrow and it's always about tomorrow so <laughs> you know me i'm always there with a piece of advice <laughs> oh exactly yeah and you're there as late as they are that's that's the cool thing will we find out today is patty Cummins going to have a uh, a fitness test today uh well he had a semi fitness test or a fitness test for uh, i mean he was just put through the rungs for around 40 minutes yesterday uh but he did not bowl or bat uh, he hung around the nets for a while watching scott boland and mitchell stark bowl like fire with that pink ball uh and, and then he he walked away and uh, with with coach andrew mcdonald uh he was around though i saw him later just walking around uh well i mean he he seemed to be walking fine of course everybody there wanted to know if he was fine and he did he, i mean he was playing his cards close to his chest he kept saying i'm fine but we'll find out i mean he's still slated to do the press conference in what 3 hours time or 4 hours time uh so we'll see if he's going to say he whether he's playing or whether you know he's uh, having uh, he'll have steve smith captaining the side tomorrow so who did bowl then yesterday in the nets because i saw reports that um scotty bowlam was pretty much the only one plugging away and and mitchell stark and josh hazel would have gone to play golf but then i did say that mitchell stark was in there as well so who ended up having a bowl I uh, know I think maybe they uh, uh, Nathan Lyon said they went to play golf maybe in the morning. Uh so Mitchell Stark had a long spell and he was bowling um like you know proper what you expect from Mitchell Stark with a pink ball in his hand. Uh mm-hmm. Scott Boland was unplayable as ever poor Marcus Harris I felt bad for him. He had to face the wrath of those two. Uh Cam Green was another one who had a longish spell. Uh Josh Hazelwood I saw him around he was uh, I think they would he was doing more fitness work. He went to the indoor gym. uh with the physio at one point or the it's not the physio sorry the trainer um so yeah so you had these three guys bowling uh the the new wild thing Lance Morris had long bat towards the end so did my mate Michael Nisa uh but yeah we we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens today uh but considering they're coming off such a massive workload i don't see any of them really having a longish bowl which is what surprised me about Mitchell Stark maybe he was just getting uh you know reacclimatized to the pink ball Yeah and and can't wait to get it back into his hand no doubt about it so your man your man your man Michael Nisi you're going to get asked this time and time again <laughs> until we find out who's been picked and who's not how close do you think he is because heels made a good point yesterday he said look if there's if there is a bowler or two that need a, at least half a break then now's the time to do it so if Paddy Cummins can't make it because of injury then Scott Bowland's your most right. likely choice but if Josh Hazelwood for instance is a little bit tired or whatever or starky or whatever that scenario is then your man Michael Nisa mm. certainly comes into the frame. Well, he did make his test debut at this venue with the pink ball last year, you remember. And you know, uh, you know how loyal I am to my campaigns and just loyal to people like who I back Maddie so the hashtag Nisa must play campaign is still very much alive and kicking and <laughs> he did have a long net yesterday like I said and then he had a and i was trying to pick any positive signal that i could like he had a long chat with dan vitori after his net i don't know whether that means anything at all uh but um, yeah hopefully that's a sign that uh, you know if in case uh, they do rest josh hazelwood which i don't see happening because hazelwood has just come back into the test team in many ways right strangely he's played just two tests um this year uh, so i think uh, in the unlikely chance that hazelwood is also rested you would think michael nisa would be the guy coming in uh but then there's also the possibility of the you know the the new bright uh prospect in australian cricket uh, Lance Morris like i said he didn't bowl yesterday so i i think we're all looking forward to seeing him bowl today in the nets
Yeah, which would be something, won't it? So uh, do you get the feeling that this is, for Lance Morris in particular, it's it's probably on two fronts. There's definitely the cover factor, be there to cover just in case, but also let's give him yeah. some exposure to this Australian setup. I mean, that's that's crucial. It sounds to those from the outside looking in, well, why waste, you know, a couple of days sitting around if you're not going to get a yeah. game in particular? But it's all about being part of the processes there and getting used to the teammates that you perhaps might play with not too far away. Uh, it's a great uh, idea. And, uh, you know, other teams have done it as well in the past. And I think uh, Cricket Australia are doing it really well, uh, not just with the likes of Lance Morris, but uh, this summer, everywhere they go, they have like two or three of the under-19 cricketers from the state uh, joining the team and the Nets in the in the Aussie kit. Uh, I saw a couple of, uh, or three or four South Australians yesterday. In fact, there was a leg spinner who I took a lot of pride in seeing, Maddie, because I remembered umpiring a game of his from two, three years ago when he was playing under 16. So, uh, you know, I felt pr- like, a, like a proud father looking at his ball, not that he recognized me. Uh, but, uh, no, I mean, for Lance Morris, it's so important, like you said. Like, just seeing him have that net and seeing uh, everyone else, you know, all the other high-profile names, get around him, just back him, tease him whenever he got beaten, uh, were good signs. I mean, some of them, of course, played against him. Uh, Nathan Lyon and uh, Barnes, has, Barnes has been dismissed by him. So has Usman Kowaja. So it, it's, a, it's a great idea. I mean, with all that test cricket ahead for Australia, why not? Yeah, exactly. And then on the windy side, Barat, what do you think here? I mean... They showed one thing in, in Perth, and that was resilience, that they just, they just kept yeah. on fighting. And, look, they're, they're outclassed here when, it, when, you, when you stack them up 11 v 11. And I saw some talk last night where they're yeah. talking tough. We're going to bombard Manus with, with some bounces. So uh-huh. they're showing plenty of fight, aren't they? Oh, very much so. And, and you know, the other day in Perth, Maria, uh, we finished our... Pat Cummins press conference after the game. And as we were walking back to the media center, I saw Brian Lara very patiently waiting outside uh, the West Indies dressing room to be let in. I mean, you would think with Brian Lara, he can walk in wherever he wants, right? But he was very politely waiting outside. Uh, and we heard from Roddy Estwick, the assistant coach yesterday, that uh, Brian had a lot of uh, words of encouragement for, for, for the boys. He spent quite a bit of time there. Uh, and, and praising them for the fight they showed. And look, Alzari Joseph did rattle Manas Labushain, and Manas Labushain himself admitted to that happening. So it'll be good to see Alzari uh, especially firing on all cylinders because he is the new leader of the attack. I mean, Kima Roach at 33, 34, uh, you know, is on, pretty much on his last legs, you would think. So it'll be nice to see Alzari run in and bowl like he did in that second innings. Uh, but uh, look, the, the simple plans that they have come here with, bat 100 overs, they nearly did it in both innings. Mm. So, you know, credit to them. Nobody expected them to win games, but they are winning hard. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, we'll see what pans out today. I'll, I'll keep an eye on your Twitter feed. It is the source and font <laughs> of all information and a lot of fun as well. Good on you, Barat. Thank you. No worries at all, Matty. Cheers. You have a great day. You too. Barat Sundarason there, Beastie Boy 07 is his Twitter handle. Uh, you want to get on top of anything, He's he's always there. He's dead set, always there. He's there at the net sessions all the time. He has a good, solid look. Obviously, he knows what's going around, uh, follows it religiously, and posts quite a few uh, great photos and videos as well. And he's he's so right. I mean, they said before, and we made mention of it, that the the thought process here is let's try and bat us a hundred a hundred overs against this Australian bowling 
um, class here, uh, of, of bowling that they've got. 98.2 overs in the first innings over there in Optus Stadium in Perth. And 110 they faced in the second innings. All up. So essentially they completed that task. But they are outclassed here. Let's Let's face it. And now they're talking tough about bounces and the resilience that they've got. And I like it. And Brian Lara is here as a commentator, but he was out there as a proud West Indian who was helping out. Joshua De Silva, um, the keeper who got rolled for a duck in the first innings, I saw some imagery of him having a chat with Brian Lara, who went out and he had a, he was all mic'd up, you know, out there to do his job. But he stuck, uh, stopped and took time to have a chat to De Silva to essentially give him some batting tips. Now, if Brian Lara is going to give you some tips, you stop and take notice as well. But you don't have to do that. That's the point. So they've certainly got enough fight and the good culture around them here. They're just being outclassed. And let's see how this one plays out. So we'll follow that today. And, of course, Paddy Cummins with his regular press conference will be a little bit after lunch, our time. So we'll follow that right here on SEN. 0457 736 736 is my number. Plenty of your texts uh, can take your calls as well. Our sporting family tree, who sits at the very, very top, do you think, when it comes to our royal sporting family? Let's talk about that. And the Wallabies as well. Is Eddie Jones on the radar now after being sacked by England? Well, you've had your say. I'll translate that for you after this break. It's 11 minutes to 10 o'clock on this Wednesday morning. Let's go to the open line. Greg from San Susi is on the line on a couple of fronts, Greg. Sporting families, Eddie Jones, where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with Eddie Jones, mate. You've got to remember that Eddie did not leave the Wallabies under the uh, the best of circumstances. He'd had yeah. a long yeah. and very poor uh, finish to his career under the Wallabies. Looking at the way Dave Rennie is headed, I don't think there is any chance at all of replacing him and bringing in Eddie Jones. The Wallabies at the moment are a bee stick away from uh, from a long winning streak. All they've got to learn to do is close out matches, and that's not far away. Given that we're only 12 months away from a World Cup, I can't see it happening. Mm, I hope you're right. Not in somebody, and certainly not bringing in somebody like Eddie Jones. Now... This team, yep. the Yellow Brothers, yep. Eddie Jones, Lloyd Walker, Warwick Melrose, <laughs> uh, Ramwick first grade? Yeah. No. no. Matraville Boys High School? Oh, yeah, yeah, which is where no. they came through. Was it, was it Warwick yeah, Melrose? Or... Yeah, Warwick Melrose. Not yeah. Tony. Tony played for Parramatta. Yeah. Um, they won the 1976 Waratah Shield. How much do you think they won it by? Oh. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Enlighten me. 12-3. What? They played the last decent rugby team that North Sydney Boys High School had. And we didn't have a single uh, player that played anything beyond first grade. Wow. Could you have 1976 and it was packed to the rafters. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Like you think, I, I, I'm leaning towards what I'm trying to find this morning is, I mean, we've got, we've had so many great sporting families. We know that we've had, you know, great siblings and great father sons and et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to, you know, sporting royalty of a family who sits at the top of the tree, it's very hard to go past 
the Ella brothers when especially they were at their peak. On you, Greg, I gotta go, mate. Thank you for the call on both of those fronts. You can't forget Marshmallow. Sorry, so ah yes, correct. Netball for Australia. 100%. 100%. Yeah, well said and good throw in too. Thank you for that, mate. Really appreciate the call on that one. So what do they do next over there at uh, English Rugby Union? Well, they're going to conclude their long-term work um, that they've been undertaking on coach succession planning with changes set to be announced in the near future, blah, blah, blah. Basically, Richard Cockrell will take over the day-to-day running of the men's team. They won only five of their 12 games this year after a second successive Six Nations where they lost three of their five games. And and Greg's spot on. I mean, he's a divisive character, Eddie Jones, and it's always a roller coaster with him. He led Australia to the 2003 World Cup final. He led Japan then to a big win over South Africa in 2015, which was a big shock. So it is a bit of shock and awe with Eddie. You kind of know what you're going to get. So it surprises me, I think, when people go, oh, look, he's, he's leaving behind. And it's, it's all sort of, you know, you've got to go with the lows, with the highs with Eddie. That's kind of the way that it is. But five of their 12 games in 2022 in English Rugby Union have had enough. And he also said when they finished off that Autumn Nation series, he said, I, I don't care really what anyone else thinks. And there were some strong words from the RFU off the back of that. So I was always headed for disaster in the last couple of weeks, no doubt about it. But I just wonder. I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that 12 months out is is not the right time to start making changes uh, when it comes to a World Cup because I don't subscribe to this whole four years cycle. You've got your job locked in regardless. You make changes when you think changes need to be made. And you don't make changes just because Eddie Jones is available. Get that. But you do make changes if you think that, is there a better replacement out there than Dave Rennie at the moment? If they think that that's Eddie Jones, then you've got to start pushing that cause. That will all now be discussed because that option is now real. It's a live option. It's in play. Or do they back Dave Rennie? They've already said that they're going to do it. You can have your say on that. Back after this. Coming up in our next hour, Adam Kwasnick will join me. We'll find out what's been uh, kooky at the Cup over the last 24 hours. Jack Besgrove from the Aussie Steelers men's softball team that won the World Cup over in Auckland uh, will join me as well. Some fascinating stories around that. We'll talk basketball. We continue our discussion around sporting families on the text line. Matty, I would say, up amongst those famous families in sport, how about the Cummings family in horse racing? Well, that's right. The Jawa also points out Jim Cummings, the son, his son, of course, the legend Bart, and now Anthony as well. And on sports for family trees, what about Steve Morris and his boys? Yes, Slippery and the boys as well, Ian Healy and his superstar niece, Alyssa. So we've got great sporting family trees that run through the fabric of sport in this country. We're trying to find who is the royal family, who sits at the top of that tree. More in our second hour coming up. A very good morning to you wherever you're listening around the SEN network. Thanks for joining us on SENQ 693 Brisbane 1620am on the Gold Coast. Welcome back to our listeners uh, via the SEN app and of course SEN 1170am in Sydney. We've got a fair bit on our plate this morning. The next two hours of the program jam-packed. Adam Kwasnick will join me very soon. As talk continues around Graham Arnold's future with Football Australia, they look as though they want to lock in a deal, but 
What does Arnie want to do? He's now currently holidaying and relaxing after that gruelling World Cup. So we'll discuss that with Adam Kwasnick very, very soon. Jack Besgrove's going to join me too. Now, he was a pitcher for Australia as they won the Men's Softball World Cup over in Auckland on the week. They, uh, on the weekend. They beat Canada in the final to claim a gold medal 13 years after they did it back in 2009. And there's a wonderful family connection that we've been touching on this morning. So for our Brizzy listeners just joining us, the coach of the team at the moment is Lang Harrow. Now, his dad, Bob, coached the last World Cup winning team. Unfortunately, has passed away since. In that team, Lang's brother played. His name was Mike. And in the team that played across the weekend, Lang's son's playing. So you've got a wonderful family connection, which has led us to a discussion around Australian sports family tree. Now, we know we've got some great sporting siblings and families over the years, but who do you think sits at the very, very top? You can join that debate this morning. 0457 736 736 is the text line at 1300 01 1170 across any sport. I mean, we've spoken about the Ella brothers in rugby union, um, the Cummings family in horse racing. A shout-out on the line for that around some other families as well. The Friedman families, of course, especially when they were FBI, Friedman Brothers Incorporated, and they had the world in front of them getting around in their Ray-Bans and rocking the world of racing. The Gays family in basketball, Lindsay into Andrew. So many great sporting families in Australia over the years. I mentioned one of the absolute best, the Roycroft family in equestrian Bill Roycroft with five Olympic Games. His three sons were there. And Vicky, his daughter-in-law, also at three Olympic Games. So many swimming greats as well. You think of the current day of the Campbell sisters. I mean, there's so many great ones. So who sits at the very top? Let's do that this morning. Should Rugby Australia pick up the phone, folks, and dial Eddie Jones? He's out of a job. Is Eddie the man with a 70-plus percent win rate over his last 70 years to parachute into the Wallaby system and take over that heading to the World Cup and overrule uh, Dave Rennie, who's currently operating at less than 40% success rate? Or do you just hold steady? What do you think about that? Let me know. And should Football Australia just get a deal done with Graham Arnold? They want to wait. I think it's a very, very wise move. Let the dust settle. Do a proper uh, review of everything, which is always going to include the coach and then have the discussions thereafter. However, what they've done very smartly and, and so wise in their thinking is put it out there straight away that they want Graham Arnold to be coach. They're backing their man straight up. Obviously, it's going to be a decision when it comes down to negotiations, what Arnie wants to do. It's all in his court, you've got to say. But Football Australia have played this very, very smartly, I think. Just hold fire for a few minutes. Let the dust settle. Let's not overtake the performance of the Socceroos at the World Cup and railroad it with discussions about the future of the coach. Let's just hang on a little bit here and then start to work our way through it. Quarterfinals, well, they're now locked in at the FIFA World Cup. Croatia v Brazil, Saturday early. Then Netherlands, Argentina. Sunday, Morocco v Portugal. The two winners this morning. Morocco in penalty shootout and Portugal breezed past Switzerland 6 one jump on social media 
and have a look at the very end of the match because it's now starting to swirl around. Ronaldo benched for 73 minutes of that one. The man who they started, well, the youngster who started in place of him, Gonzalo Ramos, scored three goals, scored a hat-trick. And there's poor old Ronaldo at the end of the match. He's walking off. He's trudging off. We've seen this movie before. We saw it recently in the Premier League and now at the national level, it's happening again. So Ronaldo is, man, on the nose. And, of course, the final quarterfinal will be England v France. So Brazil, $2.80 cup favourites. Second favourites of France at $5.50 and for Argentina with Portugal $8 to win the cup overall. And then, of course, there's cricket. So Paddy Cummins will have a press conference in a couple of hours' time and we should get more, obviously, on where he stands fitness-wise for this test. Scott Boland looks as though he's the man who's going to come in if Pat Cummins isn't ready. Mitchell Stark fired up in the nets yesterday. Marnus Labuschagne was there until 9.30 last night batting. Would not go away until he got it out of the middle of the bat. It appears as though the only way that Michael Nisa and or Lance Morris will get a start is if the Australian selectors decide to rest either Josh Hazelwood or Mitchell Stark, and that doesn't seem likely at the moment. So as I said, a lot for us to talk about this morning, and you can join in any time. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is my open line number or text, and there's plenty here, 0457 736 736. But let's start with football for this hour. Joining me this morning, SEN commentator, a man who's been all across things, World Cup, and, of course, Graham Arnold's position here. Adam Kwasnick joins me. Morning, Adam. Good morning, Matty. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Welcome back to the country. You've been overseas for a little bit, but keeping your eyes on all things at the World Cup. So let's start with the latest result this morning. Portugal were unbelievable against Switzerland 6-1, and no Ronaldo for most of that match. What did you make of the decision first up to bench him? Yeah, well, an incredible result and uh, a big statement made by the Portuguese manager. But they're calling Gonzalo Ramos the new Ronaldo. And uh, what, what, a, what a mark he left on uh, this morning's game against Switzerland, uh, scoring a hat-trick. He scored nine goals in 11 games for Benfica. He's the man that replaced Ronaldo and he, he really turned it on. The first, first goal was unbelievable from a tight angle. Um, they panned to Ronaldo on a number of occasions. He was just sitting there watching the game, and he did get his opportunity. Uh, but, you know, big headaches for, for the Portuguese manager moving forward because it's, do I start Ronaldo or do I start the young boy who scored a hat-trick in a, in a round of 16 game uh, for, for the big quarterfinal matchup? It's extraordinary to think that Ronaldo is on the nose, essentially, with Portuguese fans. I mean, we know that he's been in the headlines and we know the drama over there in the Premier League, but I saw a report this morning, mate, that it's 70% of those that took a survey in a newspaper said that they didn't want him to start in, in this Portuguese side. And now off the back of the hat-trick by his replacement, you wonder if that 70% would go up to 90%. Yeah, 100%, Matty. It's an interesting one. I still believe, you know, uh, for his age, he still has a lot to offer. Obviously, experience being one thing, but he can still do some damage. And uh, I guess, you know, coming off the bench, he, he made that substitution appearance, um, you know, late on in the game. Uh, there could be an element that if things aren't going well for Portugal in the, in the quarterfinal game, that they'll get him on sooner rather than later. But, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight, I think it was the right decision to start Gonzalo Ramos, 
Um, you know, he had a phenomenal performance, not just his goals, but, you know, he was a platform for many of Portugal's attack and, you know, it turned out to be the right decision. So interesting moving forward, uh, what they're going to do with Ronaldo. He's got a lot on his plate at the moment. There was a report there from a Qatari uh, club team, $313 million to get him over there. Um, yeah, there'd be a lot on his mind, Ronaldo. But at the moment, his team, uh, you know, three games away from a World Cup final. So can't wait to see how it all pans out. Yeah, we'll talk about Morocco in just a sec, but Portugal now $8 to win the Cup. So their fifth favourite to win the Cup of the eight teams that are left. Obviously, Brazil favourites. Do you reckon that performance this morning might nudge them a little bit further up in favouritism? Yeah, potentially, Matty. I still think there's some, there's some big big national teams involved. You know, you've got France, you've got Brazil, you've got England. Um, I, I, I'm expecting these teams to really flex their, their muscles in these quarterfinal stages. There's a big one on Sunday, England v France, and I think one of those two teams will end up going all the way to the final. Uh, but yeah, you still got Brazil. I, I, I think they're they're well placed, Portugal, and I, I think the betting has it right. I think there's uh, you know a few big nations ahead of them still uh, in the betting market, and obviously from a performance and, and player perspective as well. So I think they're well placed and. Uh, they'll give it a red-hot crack, but I think there's a few teams ahead of them at this point in time. So in the quarters, they face Morocco, and that's the match before the one that you just said about England-France on Sunday morning. So the 2 a.m. start, Eastern Daylight Saving Time for Morocco v Portugal. What about this one this morning? I mean, Spain will just be in a head spin this morning. No goals in two hours of play, and then 3 nothing on penalties against a team that supportedly, or re- reportedly takes... A thousand penalty shots uh, at the becking of their coach. Well, it didn't work. Yeah, a, look, a, a very young Spanish team, Matty. There's, there's obviously, you know, uh, you know, good signs for the future. But yeah, they, they just just got out in boots for parts of the game this morning, and obviously going to uh, a penalty shootout, it, it, it's a lottery. It's you know, big players step up in the big moments, and unfortunately for Spain, it wasn't to be. But uh, you know, they'll lick their wounds and they'll learn from that experience, and I think they'll be better for it uh, in a few years' time in, in the USA. So then it leads us to the discussion back home, and obviously we've got those quarterfinals starting on Saturday morning and then into Sunday. Australia, not there. You've been over in Fiji, taking a bunch of young blokes over there to get an experience, but you would have seen all of the news off the back of the Socceroos' exit. And when I read this morning that Football Australia want Graham Arnold to stay, but they don't want to rush it, and there's no need for a knee-jerk reaction, I thought that's a smart play, in my opinion. Do you agree? Yeah, 100%. I, I, I think, look, I, in, in my in my opinion, Matty, I, I think they should have locked up uh, Graham Arnold a long, long time ago, but and that's going off the back of what he does, um, you know, in, in the background. Like, he, he, he was heavily involved with the national team at, at the Olympics. And, you know, he's given plenty of opportunity for young players uh, to get their opportunity abroad. Um, you know, he's very hands-on. Um, and, 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 and thankfully, uh, the, the results matched it at this World Cup. You know, he had a remarkable couple results against Tunisia and Denmark. Um, you know, with clean sheets, clean sheets to add to that, um, and then he was so close against the Argies. Let, let's not 
let's not sugarcoat things. The team that he took over to Katai, it's not the most talented team, but what he gave them was a lot of belief, and he set them up tactically superb. He, he, you know, couldn't do a foot wrong there, Graham Arnold, and, um, you know, let's hope that negotiations are positive. Uh, but for me, I wouldn't be surprised if Graham walks away with his head held high and he tries to find uh, an opportunity at an overseas club because... Uh, you know, he's a wonderful manager um, and he deserves his time. Whether it be in Australia or not, I don't know, but I think he'll, he'll head overseas maybe to a European club um, and, and sort of, uh, you know, test his strategies over in a, in a very competitive competition over in Europe somewhere. If there's no Graham Arnold in charge of the Socceroos, Adam, who's who's next off the, the next cab off the rank? Yeah, look, I think it's, it's crucial that it, it's... Uh, with all respect, it's not a foreigner. I think we need to go local, and I think, you know, there's plenty plenty of good coaches, uh, you know, coming through the ranks in Australia. You know, um, you know, John Aloisi, obviously done it all as a, as a player for the national team, and, you know, he's finally got some runs on the board as a manager as well, you know, taking Western United to <clears throat> to the title. Um, you know, Steve Corica uh, won many titles with Sydney FC. There's no doubt, you know, he could he could be in the running as well. But I, I think it's very, very important that we, we go local um, and we invest in someone with, with the same passion that Graham Arnold has uh, and the same ideas, the same philosophy in you know, you know, promoting youth and giving youth an opportunity, which will set the national team up for, for many, many uh, World Cups to come. Just finally, how is Fiji? I mean, a, a lot of rugby league talent over there, but when you're taking young footballers over there from, from your sport in particular, I'm interested to know how that was received from both sides. Yeah, look, you know, Fiji is a fantastic country and, and you know, um, there, there, there's a bit of potential there, Matty. There's some good young kids coming through. They, they don't have the, the, the resources that, you know, maybe Australian kids have. Um, but there's some good raw talent over there and, uh, you know, the young kids that, uh, you know, we took over from Central Coast Sports College were, you know, they they really opened their eyes from a cultural experience and, and they really appreciate just how good they have it. Um, and they were tested against some good young Fijian players. I think all Australian squads that went over there, it was a fantastic experience on and off the pitch. And hopefully from a Fijian perspective, you know, uh, obviously, there's more teams qualifying for next year's, or sorry, not next year's, uh, in four years' time for the USA World Cup. Maybe Fiji are a chance of qualifying for their first ever World Cup, but there's some good young talent to, to build off there. Great stuff, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Matty. Take care. Welcome back. It's 24 minutes after 10 in New South Wales, 24 after 9. For our Queensland listeners, 2am Tommy is with us with his coins on the table to buy into anything you'd like to talk about. Tommy, good morning. Morning, Matty, and morning listeners. Yeah, so I wanted to buy into a little debate heading into the second test in uh, starting in Adelaide tomorrow, Matty. And a lot mm. of the talk has been about Pat Cummins, his fitness, who's going to replace him. But I wanted to speak about one of our country's greatest ever players and greatest ever batsman, but he's in a bit of a, a form slump at the current moment. Um, and that is David Warner. And a lot of the chat around David Warner the past, well, six weeks since the cricket summer has started has been his leadership. But should we now focus our conversation less on his leadership and more about his actual form? So you look at his two innings against the West Indies in the first test, he got five uh, in the first innings, and he got 48 in the second innings. So pretty good. But for David Warner, for his stats, 
His last test century was against New Zealand on January 3rd, 2020. So he got 111 not outs. That's nearly three years ago, his last test century. Since then, he's only managed four scores over 50 in that time. So two of them have been in the 90s. That did come against England in the last year's Ashes series. And the other scores of 68 and 51 came against uh, Pakistan. And that's been in 13 tests. So since that century, that century against New Zealand on January 3rd, 2020, he's, he's played 13 tests, scored 621 runs at an average of 28. That's, that's not what you want from your opener, and it's not what you expect from a guy like David Warner, who has quickly become one of Australia's greatest modern um, batsmen. Now, the reason I bring this up is because David Warner turned 36 in October of this year. He's going to turn 37 next year. Him and Usman Khawaja are the same age. They're not getting any younger. But I bring this up because next year in 2023, and a lot of people have brought this up, it is Australia's most important tours. We go to India and then we go to England. David Warner hasn't been successful in, e- in either of those countries. In eight tests in India, he averages 24 with a high score of 71. In 13 tests in England, he averages 26 with a high score of 85. He's had seven half centuries. So he hasn't got a century in either of those countries, our most important tours, India and England. So as I said before, he turned 36 in October this year. And Matty, I'll ask you this, not just in cricket, but in any sport hasn't where an athlete has been 35 or 36, when they've had a form slump at that age, have they ever recaptured that form or gotten better? That's the worry with David Warner. And yes, I know, a lot of the listeners will say, a lot of the critics will say, okay, well, who's next? And that's the worry yeah. with Australian cricket at the moment. But we need to start talking about David Warner's form because leading into 2023, where we need those test wins, where we haven't won in India for a long time, we haven't won an Ashes series in, in England since the early 2000s, we only drew the last one, we need our best batsman firing, and David Warner had, hasn't done that for about three years at the test level. I did hear a stat uh, across the weekend or across during that first test around if you if you go into the quarters of his career, and there's no doubt he's in the twilight of his career. I mean, we, we all know that, and that's not being rude or disrespectful at all to David Warner, but he's in the final quarter of that career. And if you go through his quarters of, of batting averages in test level, I think it sort of goes around 40s, for the first quarter, goes up to the 50s in the second quarter, high 40s again in the third quarter. And in this quarter, the final quarter of his career, he's underneath 40 for the first time. So uh, the, the question now is, and those are very compelling stats that you put forward. The big worry for me, Tommy, was the first innings against West Indies yep. when he chopped it on. And he tried, to, he tried to get one that was two or three feet outside of off stump and chopped it on. Now, that, that shows that uh, I just don't know if he does that when he's young and fresh and eyes are great, but he bounces back with two short of 50 in the second there. So I guess the big question for me is we know that this is the end of David Warner's or this is towards the end of David Warner's test career. So two things. You're right. Who do you replace him with? Matthew Renshaw has been there before, and he's still only 26, Matt mm-hmm. Renshaw. I mean, he was around for so long and continues to plunder runs. So who do you replace him with? And then how much of the experience that David Warner has had and can bring to that squad and that team on tours that they're about to face is invaluable versus the runs that he may or may not get? 
I think that's probably the that's probably the questions or the two questions for me on that front. And this is a really, really important time for Australian cricket, Matty, because as I mentioned before, Usman Khawaja, he turns 36 in 11 days on the 18th of December. So there's your two opening bats. In. For, for so long, David Warner has been the linchpin at the top of the Australian order. He's had multiple, multiple opening batsmen alongside him. Matt Renshaw, Cam Bancroft, Chris, Roger, Chris Rogers uh, held down a position for quite a while. Um, Usman Khawaja now, Marcus Harris, we saw him start the Ashes series last year. So the two guys that are the leading run scorers at the moment in the Sheffield Shield uh, this year, Peter Hanscom. Eight innings, 571 runs, averages 82. He's had two centuries and 150. And Cameron Bancroft, 10 innings, 483 runs for three centuries. So the two leading Sheffield Shield scorers have already been tried and tested as well at the test level. We all know what happened with Cam Bancroft. And Peter Hanscom has had many, many issues with um, his batting style, particularly where he, he likes to bat, likes to bat very, very deep in the crease. So there's one guy named Tim Ward, who's my age, 24 years of age, um, from Tasmania, who's third on the list. He's had 421 runs, hasn't scored a century, but he's had four half centuries. So you and Barat um, spoke about this a little bit in your chat last hour, Matty, about the Australian squad bringing in those younger bowlers that we're seeing now with Lance Morris. Now is the perfect time to bring in those young batsmen, especially against South Africa coming up, and then with India and England next year. If Australia... Cricket Australia, Pat Cummins, Andrew McDonald can identify those young, up-and-coming, promising batsmen coming through and take them on those tours to India and England and watch them study behind guys like Usman Khawaja and David Warner. Hey, they may they may even get a test um, uh, in India or in England. Look at what happened yeah. with Marnus a couple of years ago in England. Came in to substitute for Steve Smith when he went off with concussion. Now he's the second the best batsman history. behind Steve Smith. So David Warner, step up. There's one man missing out yes. of all of this discussion, Will Pekofsky. And yes. that's, the, that's the one that Australian or Cricket Australia just couldn't control. I mean, the, the, you don't foresee any of that coming. And that's, that's sort of the bottom line. He'd be the, the next man up. And that's not going to happen at the moment. So two, two things I want to ask you, and I'll, I'll leave the questions for the listeners as well. So how long is too long with David Warner? How long is too long do we see him not live up to his standards and keep getting scores below 50, sub 50. And then if it's not David Warner, then who? Who is the ne- Who are the next guys to come in and replace him? Let me know. 0457 736 736. Or give us a call on that one. 1300 01 1170. David Siemens call up his line. And Brazil take the lead. Ronaldinho has scored. Brilliant from Ricardo Quaresma return for Portugal. It's Shabalala. Pereira hit by Hamas! Oh, what a goal! A sensational goalie! From the pensionable Tim Cahill! Ah, yes, it is time for what's kooky at the cup. Thanks to the newsroom for keeping us on our toes in that break. We'll find out what the hell's going on there. What's kooky at the cup? Mark, our resident Scotteroo has uh, his eyes across everything. Morning, mate. Good morning, mate. Good morning, listeners. How are we? Yes, we're all good. We're all good. By the way, John on the text line says, does Tom know that Dave Warner is a Roosters fan? He's very quick to turn on his own, isn't he, Matty? Be careful, he says. Uh, There's no honour. There's no honour in Tommy Costigan. (laughs) We'll dig dig into that a a little bit later. He's not turning on David Warner at all. He's simply pointing out some statistical facts 
um, that do show that, you know, you've got to go all the way back to the January test in Sydney uh, against New Zealand to find the last time that Davey Warner scored a tonne. So the question now is, obviously, they're, they're, they're looking for a transition period. Who is that Who is that? That person or those batters to step up and put their names in the ring? And how long do you hold on to somebody as brilliant and as bullish and as experienced as Davey Warner? That's going to be the question. And they'll have planning successions. No worries about that. But happy to talk about that in just a sec. But we need to find out what's kooky at the Cup. Yeah, so first things first, Craig Goodwin uh, has returned to Adelaide. Um, came back on the flight. A lot of the players came back on their flights uh, this week um, uh, after their World Cup. And this is the, the scenes that arrived for Craig Goodwin as he turned back up. It was lovely to see. That's ah. what you want to see. God bless him, Adelaide. Good on them. One player. So not like Sydney where there's a load of them <laughs> flying back in all at the same time. They turned up for one guy. <laughs> well, hopefully he didn't get caught at customs or sitting around yeah. waiting for his bag for hours and hours. Yeah, well done. And well done to everybody getting out to support those guys. Because, it, you know, it's funny that it, it's funny when you look at it, mate, when, when you see... And we heard so many times um, Graham Arnold saying, get off social media, all that kind of stuff. And you, there are these extraordinary times where squads and teams and players go away and they don't really know what's happening back home. They, they, they kind of do, but they kind of don't. So if they do stay off social media and if they stay off the news and they stay in their bubble, it blows their mind when they come back and go, what, like, holy cow, there's all these people here to see us. And they don't realise that those people have been there seeing you guys for for weeks on end so i think it's wonderful i think it's a really personal touch to everything that they've done and it shows them the kind of support that's been ongoing they they know what's happening but they don't know it they don't see and hear it personally because they've been shut down from it so those kind of scenes are awesome what about this american commentator now what's what's the story here this is Wild for me. So this is a, a reporter called Tom Rinaldi for Fox Sports over in the US. He's reporting before the Portugal game this morning. And he he tries his best to do some lyrical, poetic, I'm going to call it nonsense, um, before the game. I'm just going to play the clip and you'll see it's it's very cringy and very uh, assumption. There's a big assumption he makes anyway. Here, here it comes. Rob, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. The iconic Irish writer Oscar Wilde said that. Don't know if he was a soccer fan, but he definitely would have been a fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> oh, dear. I, there's one thing we know about the 19th century Irish poet Oscar Wilde. He would have loved Cristiano Ronaldo. That's, that's one thing we absolutely know. <laughs> oh, dear. It was also, um, I believe that when Australia played... Argentina on that day um, that the match beforehand the the American commentators I saw a tweet from a mate Lee Diffie over there that the American commentators said who, who played before us I'm trying to think uh, USA would, would yeah, have been Netherlands Netherlands yes yeah 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 so once Netherlands had won and the Australian match hadn't started yet yeah um, that they they said well uh, Netherlands will play Argentina Ah, oh, that's assumption. That's that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like that one even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I did see that. So uh, Diff had got up to watch it, or whatever time he watched it over there in the States, and obviously a proud Australian, and, and he put that on social media saying, because he saw the first match and went, nah, that's that's a little bit low ball. That's how it turned out, but it's a little bit low ball. Yeah. What, else, what else is happening? So a uh, former Cameroon and Inter Milan striker, uh, Samuel Eto, one of the best strikers to ever play, he got in a fight out in Qatar. So he's out there, he's walking... Uh, kind of near the stadiums after one of the games and what is believed to be a YouTuber um, comes up to him and it looks like he might be trying to get a selfie and he is taking a few pictures, Samuel. He's not being too rude to start with but this guy just keeps shoving the camera in his face. He was trying to get videos with him um, and so Samuel Eto goes full Alex Volkanovsky and he stucks the knee in, puts the knee into this guy's, the guy's head. The guy leans oh, over. I saw that. He leaps up absolutely powers his knee into this guy's head um, and, and, and knocks him over. So, I mean, he's come out recently, he's come out afterwards and and apologized and said that there are some, he has some issues. I believe Algeria believed that he cheated once. And so he's like, oh, I think it was an Algeria fan trying to say I cheated again. And so all this stuff uh, uh, with the apologies. But you, you can't just, just because some guy's annoying you with a camera, get some security, walk away. <laughs> Don't just stick yeah. the knee in. Unfortunately, you know where where that that argument lost me there was when you said the YouTuber. Yeah, yeah sounds to yeah. me as though old mate the pest got what he, exactly what he wanted. Oh, he was being annoying, but uh, uh, that's the annoyingly. If you're Samuel Eto, you it, it's it's not fair, but you can't just knee somebody in the <laughs> in the street because you're Samuel Eto. Correct. That's what's kooky at the cup. Make sure you stick around. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. We've lit up the uh, the text line here with thoughts around. David Warner and uh, his future in the test uh, arena, how long that lasts and who could possibly replace him. Of course, they're not going to make a move anytime soon. Jack Bezgrove's going to join me, part of the Australian winning World Cup winning squad over there in Auckland for the Aussie Steeler men's softball team. I've been telling you a lot this morning about our men's softball World Cup winning team. They defeated Canada 5-2 in Sunday's final in Auckland. So it's their second gold medal in World Cup competition after 2009. We've done it again and I'm pleased to say on the line is Jack Besgrove from the Aussie Steelers team. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good, mate. Congratulations. What a great win and what a great way to do it. Um, talk me through how that final played out. You got over the top of Canada 5-2 and a couple of old-timers were there, Adam Folkard and, and Shalesy as well. Nick Shales, the Two members from back in 2009 played a starring role. Yeah, big. Um, they yeah had a big in, big impact, and um, really appreciate them being there. Especially me being the the youngest in the team and pitching that final. It's um huge to have them there and their support, especially through the tough times. So um, it was awesome. Yeah, talk us awesome. through your story. How how old are you, mate? Because you only made your debut, what just a, a week or so before the World Cup. Yeah, so um, I'm 18. Wow. Um, first ever Steelers team. I made my debut at the warm-up tournament in Palmerston North the week before. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty special. Not not many people have done it. I'm not sure about the history or anything, but um, I assume one of the youngest to pitch a final. Um, I reckon for, for sure you'd, you'd have to be. So, nerves of steel. Look, you've been in this arena before. You are part of the junior Steelers team that won silver at the World Cup in February back in 2020. So you've been on the big stage before, but this is the biggest of the big. So as you say, left-handed pitcher in a final. How were the nerves, mate? 
Oh, I was pretty nervous, like really nervous. I didn't sleep much, um, especially we just come off a pretty big win against Argentina the night before, um, who were defending world champs, and we were. I was just kind of buzzing and didn't really sleep that much. So um, I was tired, but I was determined to get through it, and those older boys just helped me a lot. So it was awesome. <laughs> Talk me through what what happened when you got the call up that that week before because you, you come into this massive tournament how did that play out was it a phone call from the coach was it was it just stock standard sort of selection stuff how did that all unfold yeah so we played our national tournament in april and um they selected a squad and i was named in that and about a month before we went to that lead-up tournament i was called and they um uh, by our manager mike titridge and he said Mate, you're going to be a stealer. Um, so I was pretty. I was actually driving home from school, and um, got the call, and I was. I, I had to pull over and just, you know, ring mum and do all the protocol. And yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah. And you defeat all three top-ranked teams throughout the tournament. As you say, you defeated Argentina, Canada in the final and, and Japan along the way as well. So come in fourth yep. and end up with the gold medal. I, I've been touching this morning, Jack, about um, the family connection throughout sport and throughout this squad in particular. And your coach, Lang Harrow, well, his dad was the coach back in 2009. His son, Matthew, is a reserve on your team and his brother played in that 9 winning squad as well. So a lot of family history. Does yep. it feel like a a wonderful family the Steelers set up? Yeah, it's um that's what we're kind of orientated on, a family set up. Um, so yeah, it definitely is. It's um it's a pretty awesome group. Um, yeah, we're just all close and we all get along and just the vibe around the camp was just, you know, do anything for each other and support each other through the way. So yeah, definitely a family set up within awesome. our sport. So um and our yeah. team. Ah, oh, mate, it, it is such um, such a good story. So, what's next for you? Um, so we've got national. So I'm in the New South Wales men's team, and um, we won it last year, but we've never gone back to back. So um, that's my next goal, and then after that, hopefully there's uh, there's an under 23s World Cup that's being rescheduled to next year, and um, so all eyes are on uh, winning gold at that one too. So. Well, Jack, congratulations. You're not only an Aussie Steeler, but you're a World Cup uh, gold medal winner as well at the age of 18. Congratulations to you and the team as well. Thanks for jumping on the phone today. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Jack Besgrove there. So the Aussie Steelers, they did it the hard way. They finished seventh in their last World Cup in 2019. So this is a massive turnaround. Here they come, fourth in the tournament. They knock over Argentina, Japan and Canada all ranked above them, and win the gold medal. 18 years, I didn't know he was that young. Wearing number 57, selected the week before to make his debut for Australia, and then holds the nerve throughout that final. Just extraordinary stuff. Congratulations to him. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is my open line number, or 0457 736 736. Now, David Warner has got you talking. So 2AM, Tommy has posed the question there. What what next for Davey Warner with the big series coming up ahead of us? Of course, the second test starts tomorrow at Adelaide Oval. He'll be there. He scored 48 in the second dig, missed out in the first while others cashed in. 
Hasn't scored a century in the Test Arena since 2020 when you go back to 111 not out against New Zealand. His century before that was 335 not out against Pakistan in 2019, of course. So it's been a, a bit of a lean run in terms of getting the triple figures for Davey Warner. He scored 94 against the Poms in Brizzy and 95 against them in Adelaide in 2021 and has gone past 50 a couple of times thereafter. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow night if uh, the Aussies spat first. You just get the feeling with Dave Warner that he's never too far away from a big score, and that's exactly what they'll be looking for. But that combination with him and Usman Khawaja has just been a bit of a goldmine, especially for Uzi over the last 12 months in particular. But the fact of the matter is that they are at the back ends of their career um, age-wise, clearly, and you start have to you have to start looking now at, at the transition plan. So it wasn't a dump at all from... Uh, Tommy on Davey Warner. It's just statistically those numbers aren't there. No Will Pekofsky in the system. So who do you think steps on in? Uh, now's the time for transition in the Australian cricket team. This is a long one, so I might have to get to it a little bit later. But it, basically the gist is that David Warner is living on reputation. He has been a great servant. However, father time is ticking rapidly. We need to bring in Matt Renshaw. Six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, thank you for this text, Stu. He says, thanks for getting Jack on the program. Midway through the tournament against Venezuela, he pitched the perfect game. A no-hitter in their 6 nothing win, says Stu. Thank you for that. And I'm sure, Stu, it was you that it alerted us to that fact about the uh, Aussie Steelers. So always happy to, um, to chat to Australian athletes, especially like that. It's a, it's a great story. Sometimes you go in... Um, you know, not armed with as much information as you want, but you learn along the way. And, uh, yeah, what a great little character. What a great character and what a great story. Travis Head to open the batting, says one of the texters. Peter Hanscom at five. Warner's reflexes are not up to it anymore. Renshaw has to be the guy. A line has to be put through. Harris is definitely not test standard, says this texter. And Pukowski put a line through as he won't be ready with the issues that he's facing. Uh, these are all the questions that are on, on the list. Not in the short term, but certainly in the long term from Australian cricket. Welcome back. The final hour of our program. So plenty of time for us to hook into the issues that are still on the table this morning. Matty Logue will join me soon to talk basketball. Uh, Paddy Mills is being earmarked as the man to lead a new Canberra franchise if they expand that way in the NBL. Wouldn't that be a homecoming? Coming? Do you remember the... The Canberra Cannons, <laughs> so he was a ball boy at the Canberra Cannons before he moved over to the U.S. as a youngster looking to chase his dream, and that's exactly how it panned out. And now Larry Kesselman, the boss of the NBL, has said, well, if the Canberra franchise is successful in being the expanded team in the NBL, then Paddy Mills should be our man, and it's very hard to argue with that one, Simo from Balmain says Warner is the second most successful opener in Australia's history. Scored more runs at a better average than Boone, Taylor and Langer in fewer tests. Only behind Hayden. The media are relentlessly willing him to fail. Tall poppy in all its glory, says Simo. Are they? Are they relentlessly willing him to fail? I'm not sure. I haven't read too many articles that says... Fail, fail, fail. And I understand what you're sort of leaning on with the tall poppy side. And what Tommy's said this morning is is pointing out the fact that the runs haven't been there 
over the course of the last couple of years as much as you, you'd like them to be. And I pointed out that these things happen. You know, this is the, this is the back end of Davey Warner's career. There's no question about it. Um, how long does that go? I think that's, that's the one. That's the one. I, I'm not too sure. Unless you've got good examples, Simo, let me know. But I'm happy to discuss that. I, I just think the, the generalisation of people relentlessly willing him to fail from the media side of things, I'm not sure about that. Why, says Charles, is everyone so insistent on bringing back failed cricketers like Hanscom and Harris? Uh, because they're scoring cheap runs on notoriously flat wickets at the Junction Oval. If we are to replace Warner, bring in some new talent. Have plenty of future and development ahead of them. Bryce Street from Queensland, Henry Hunt from South Australia, two openers who soak up balls and put a high price on their wicket. Uh, thank you for that, Charles. Flat track expert says this texter, Warner struggles as soon as the ball moves sideways more than a centimetre. Um, it's got to be Renshaw, says another. On the issue of Eddie Jones being sacked as English rugby union coach, a couple of texts around this, which I thought were going to be obvious calls. Uh, Eddie can now go help Anthony Seabold at Manly. Well, it's interesting how the sliding doors work there. And another one on this, that was from Big Daz. Lordy says, G'day, man. Anthony Seabold's lucky he got the Manly job or he'd be out of a job after Eddie Jones got sacked. That, that sliding doors moment is quite extraordinary. We don't know the details behind uh, what would have happened if, if Siebes was still there as Eddie's assistant, do you move on? I'm, I'm not sure how that would have played out. I mean, you'd probably say more than likely. But the manly job became available whilst Anthony Seabob was still contracted to the English Rugby Football Union. And they basically had to work out how to make that departure um, timely for Anthony Seabold to continue. And I know that Eddie Jones was certainly, you know, um, willing Seabes to do everything that he could to get back into the head coaching role in the NRL. And that's the way that it played out. And a couple of weeks later, bingo, Eddie Jones loses his job. So that's part of that story. There's always a storyline with Eddie. It's never just plain sailing. And he rattles things like crazy when he's on the way in and when he's there. And they get rattled on the way out as well. And there are quite a few clubs and nations that can attest to that fact. On the other side of all that is that he, he knows how to get success out of teams at the right moment in time. Could he be that one to take over from Dave Rennie if they wanted to make a move? Well, he'd certainly be on the list. Certainly be on the list. Michael Checker's already got a job, uh, a job in that sphere. So do you go back that way? Matty, on the Wallabies, the easiest thing to do is change the Wallabies coach, but that is not the answer. Light needs to be shone on the bigger issue of the ARU, which is now RA, mismanagement of rugby over the last 20-odd years. Dave Rennie's a world-class coach who doesn't have world-class cattle to work with. Eddie Jones is not a miracle worker. Cheers from an extremely frustrated rugby fan. Um, rugby Australia mismanagement over the last 20 years, well, certainly it hasn't been in the kind of shape that you'd want it, but Andy Marinos is now in charge and Hamish McLennan as... The chairman has done a pretty outstanding job, in my opinion, over the last however many years that he's been in the gig. Um, and they've certainly got their house in order. Stood up to New Zealand, stood up to Super Rugby, Rugby World Cup, uh, the whole lot. And obviously we've got that private equity deal there. So I think that's, I think the light has certainly been put on that. 
and perhaps that's in the past. Now it comes down to the future. And what does the future look like? Well, they've got a clear roadmap for what they want to achieve as a business and what's coming our way. What they want to achieve on the field is success at the World Cup. If they have to make changes on that, then now's the time to start having that conversation. Uh, Canberra seems to generate success in their ball boys, says Stu, with Mark Webber also having a great sports career. That's right. That's right. M. Webber was uh, a ball boy. Well, he grew up in Queanbeyan and loved his Canberra Raiders and was a ball boy there and then, of course, went on to become one of our greats in the world of motorsport. You're right. And boy, does he remind you. Man, does he remind you about that. Sporting families, you've already mentioned the Mortimer, Steve, Peter and Chris, but younger brother Glenn also played NRL, as did Peter's son Daniel. Yes. Then there are the Hughes brothers. That's right. Graham, who represented New South Wales in cricket and rugby league, plus his brothers Mark and Gary, played league, as did Gary's three sons, Glenn, Stephen and Corey. Also the Walters brothers, and now Kevin's son, Billy. And in motor racing, the Richards. Yep, Jim, Steve. Tennis, the Stollies. Um, father and son, the list goes on and on. It does, Bulldog Bob. It certainly does go on and on. And on the motorsport uh, factor, Chookman says, I think the famous Johnson name in motor racing. They say Dick's grandson is fast, so he may, may be one to watch soon. We've got Dick, then Steve. Um, so Junior, his son, and now Jet, Steve's son. And Jet has been racing uh, in the series that I've been a part of this year in terms of Stan's coverage of it. The Speed Series, and you're right, he is fast. He's only young, and I've never seen Chookman uh, Stevie J so nervous. I was there for a lot of Stephen Johnson's career and have had a lot to do with Dick over the years as well, but uh, the day that young Jet drove, it was down at Tasmania in the Speed Series. Mate, Stevie Johnson was so nervous. He was there as a dad, not as a racer. And he was petrified about what was going to unfold. As I mentioned, Larry Kesselman's put it out there. Hey, if we have a new Canberra uh, side coming into the NBL, who's our man? Paddy Mills. Matt Logue is across this, of course, and wrote the article in the News Limited papers this morning, and he joins me on the line. Good morning, Logie. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matty. Thank you for your time. Um, it's not a bad shout. It's it's pretty hard to punch any kind of holes into this one. If we if we get a Canberra team back in the NBL, mm. why wouldn't you go looking at somebody like Paddy Mills? Oh, Matty, look, it, it would be terrific. And, you know, as you mentioned in the opener, Larry Kesselman is, is certainly ambitious, and that's what he's been able to do. And he's, what, seven years in charge of the league. He took over in 2015, and the league was on, you know, death door, it was on collapse, there was one sponsor, I think, um, Wilson Balls and that's it, so you know he, he knows um, how to chase a dream and look, if Canberra does come in and at this point, Matty, it's certainly one of the options for expansion in the NBL, I think the venue down there at the AIS they're looking to um, redevelop that and it needs a little bit more government funding, so it's a few years off but also I think Paddy's a few years off I think he, at the moment, he's sitting on the bench at, at, at Brooklyn, but I know he's got aspirations, he's contracted until the end of next NBA season and then he's a free agent but no one's looking to retire him just yet, but in terms of him coming back, as we've seen with the likes of Andrew Bogut and then Matthew Delapadova, particularly Bogut well, I don't think there's anyone bigger at the moment, Matty, than, than Paddy Mills and the influence that he could have, particularly given his, his links to the Canberra region. He's born there. Uh, he was a former Cannons ball boy. And, and I think what he could do in the community, particularly with the Indigenous community, would be profound. Yeah, absolutely. So where is the league at with 
expansion plans? Mm. They've got like so much interest, Matty. It's, it's crazy. Uh, at the moment, I've got a story coming in tomorrow's papers in my column about where the NBL's at. And Larry said to me, look, we've got the Gold Coast, we've got Sydney, we've got Melbourne, we've got Western Australia, we've got um, Canberra, as I mentioned, all these people putting their hand up saying they want to be involved. And he's the league are just wary of like, okay, we've got this interest, but we've got to be... We've got to make sure it's sustainable. So they, they did a, a really clever play, I thought, with Tasmania. They got ahead of the curve of the AFL and, and got a team there with the Jack Jumpers, and they've got a boutique stadium that sells out every week. So that's, that's working. What, what they're wary is, is is expanding for the sake of the expanding and then it not being sustainable in the future. So they're looking at their options very carefully, but I think Canberra's right up there. They just need maybe they need a bit more government funding, I think, with the stadium. Um, but I, I think Canberra makes sense, particularly when you look at the AIS is down there and it's been one of the most successful breeding grounds in the NBA Global Academy for basketball in this country. So if that can be linked with a, an NBL team and some of those colleges down there like you know, Lake Ginandera and St. Maris, then you know, I, I think it's a no-brainer. At the moment, I think, Matty, it's, it's about government money. The other thing they've got too, Logie, is history. They've got NBL history. They yep. won the championship three times. They were they were one of the yep. teams of the 80s. They won in 83, 84, and 88. And some of the great players that came through the NBL came through the Canberra Cannons. So you, you're not starting, whilst it is a long time um, coming since they were last in the league, you're not starting from, from ground zero. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Matty. And, you know, you're aware of, you know, of that history. And it's important, like... Whereas if you do start from ground zero, it can be tough. Like the Jack Jumpers are lucky that so there's no other sporting team there apart from the Sheffield Shield with the cricket. So that they've got this passionate support starting from ground zero. But you're right, the Cannons have got a rich history. I know there's people behind the scenes, former Cannon players, pushing hard with the government and pushing hard to to get uh, you know uh, the return of the Cannons or a Canberra team you know back in the NBL. And, and, I, and I, as I said, I. I just like the synergy there, particularly with the AIS, and it's it's a it's a region as we've seen with the, the Raiders and the Brumbies that they love their sport. So if they've got a, a team there, then I have no doubt they'll get behind it. Yeah, and speaking of big names, you know, being involved in the NBL, I had a chat with Chris Pongrass yesterday um, mm. from the Sydney Kings, and we discussed the Luke Longley factor about coming into the ownership group of Hoops Capital. So not just the Kings, but everything under the Kings. Hoops Capital Banner, so the Kings, the Flames, the lot. What do you reckon? I mean, it's it's pretty obvious sort of history-wise and what he's achieved, but what else do you reckon what? Luke Longley can bring to the Kings? Oh. I think he brings composure. Um, like He brings all his knowledge like, and, and his connections. Like For example, my understanding is there was a recent Zoom meeting where he got Scotty Pippen involved and they had a conversation with Scotty Pippen about potentially coming on board with the Kings as a coach. <laughs> so, like, for starters, that's straight away, you know, pretty big, big connection. So, so um, he brings the phone book is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think with Luke and, and having known him for a bit, he it's his calmness, it's his poise, it's the fact that he doesn't overreact to things or underreact. I think he'll bring the Kings um, all this, this knowledge of basketball, but also of a guy who's been around the block a few times in life and experienced some different things. And I think it's his people skills, Matty. Like, he's he's very private and um, very respectful, but he, his ability to connect with people, particularly the players, and you talk to any of those Kings players, and they'll tell you, oh, like, Luke 
is amazing and he genuinely cares about me and oh, I think we've seen with Geordie Hunter, big man there at the Kings, he's a similar personality to Luke and Geordie will, will you know, will sing Luke's praises forever just saying, you know, he's made me feel comfortable to be a bit of a nerd in basketball and, uh, you know, I think, yeah, he's, his layers extend well beyond the court. As you well know, Matt, our listeners are all over it. So get this text from Bulldog Bob as we've been talking. He says, if Paddy Mills does join a Canberra team or comes back for Canberra, who would be recognised as Canberra's best ever player? Paddy or a young lady named Lauren Jackson? I've heard she could play a bit, says Bulldog Bob. Oh, there's a debate that we need to have. That's a big debate because I think Aubrey might blow up and say, well, hang on a minute, Lauren's from Aubrey. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, dear. There you go, Bulldog Bob. Smash straight back into your place. What happens tomorrow night, mate? Sydney Kings v New Zealand Breakers over there in New Zealand. Oh, look, New Zealand have been amazing. And what a great story. Like, you know, two years of COVID, because of COVID, they were on the road. They were away from their families. Like, you wouldn't wish it on your enemy. Like, it's it's, it's the awful, really, really difficult stuff. But the fact that they're up there on, you know, Second place is just a, a remarkable sporting story, no matter what sport you follow. In terms of the result, I, I think they've been good at home, the Breakers, but I think the Kings have they've shown some poise this year. Um, they haven't been perfect, but in those big games, they've found a way to win on multiple occasions and sometimes at the death. And I just think Xavier Cooks is just in rare air. Like I think grand final series MVP last year. I think he's the favourite to win the MVP this year. And um, the way he's taken that next step in his career, whether or not he goes to the NBA, that's another story. But he, at the moment, he's owning the NBL, Matty. And I think on the back of Cooks, um, yeah, the, the, the Kings should be too good in a close one. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. We'll look forward to that uh, next report in the News Limited Press tomorrow. Thanks, Matty. News Limited's Chief Basketball Writer, Matt Logue, on the line. Um, yeah, that push for the Canberra Cannons is beauty. And, and as soon as I saw that, I haven't been across much of the expansion plans of the NBL, to be to be honest with you, on, on that front. But the, the Canberra Cannons, I mean, team of the 80s. Team of the 80s. They, they were punching away and they won three premierships along the way in that decade. <clears throat> so they've certainly got something to come back on. Excuse me for a sec. There you go. That's a little bit better. Certainly got something to build on if they do come back. And that's a, a good one, Bulldog Bob. You got us thinking about Lauren Jackson. I mean, she played for the Capitals for a whole stack of years, I think seven years uh, for the Canberra Capitals. And, of course, the Australian Institute of Sport spent so much time down there and then came back. So she, she had two stints, didn't she, at the Canberra Capitals. But, but, um, Albury Wodonga Bandits. So Albury is where she was born and Albury is where she is plying her trade now in the NBL 1 East where she came out of retirement. I mean, one of our absolute greats, no doubt about it. I don't think we want to buy into that argument, Bulldog Bob. I think we'll just tie ourselves in knots in that one. 20 minutes after 11 in Sydney, 20 after 10 in Queensland. Uh, Welcome back. Let me get to some of these texts. Uh, It's been that busy. We haven't... Uh, drilled our way through the sporting families from Jay Grubber in Sydney, Maddie and Andrew Johns, Sons Cooper and Jack Johns as well. Johns family dynasty continues. Chris points out Charlie Spargo, who plays for the Melbourne Demons, is a fourth-generation VFL, AFL player. His great-grandfather, grandfather, dad, as well as an uncle, have all played. All of them have played 60-plus games. That's not bad. So his dad, his granddad, and his great-granddad 
all played VFL slash AFL and 60-plus games. Thank you for that. Family dynasty is hard to go past. The chapel says this texter. Um, saying the Victor Trumpet connection, you mean the Victor Richardson um, connection. Yes, Julian King sent me a text too and, and points out exactly what those who know about the chapels and his or their grandfather and Vic Richardson. So he also captain Australia. So you've got three test captains from one family. As Jules points out, that's impressive. Vic also captain the South Australian Aussie rules side. And as we know at the Adelaide Oval, you have the chapel stand and the Victor Richardson Gates. It's, that's a fairly convincing argument. Fairly sizable. Stu says, hard to beat the Dalton family with Karen, Brad and Mark all playing for Australia in basketball. That's right, Stu. Um, got to see them firsthand. Both Brad and Mark went to the same school that I did along the way. Um, what about the legend Kostya Zoo and his star son, Tim? That one from the Jawa. Thank you for that. Uh, our man, The Shadow, on our Twitter feed, at Matty White SEN. Good morning, mate. I'm enjoying your show. Thank you, thank you for the entertainment. The Cat Amongst the Pigeons has been released. Do we accept the World Cup prize money knowing where the money is coming from? I don't know. <laughs> where is the money coming from overall? I mean, if you can tell me the direct uh, route that the money takes to get into FIFA's bank account, you're a better man than I. You're a better man than I. Yeah, they take it. 19 million bucks it was for making uh, that way into the round of 16. Love the show, says Danny from Botany. Thank you, Danny. Uh, Eddie Jones is an abrasive character, but a brilliant, brilliant coach, which Australia desperately needs. All the best, says Danny. Thank you for that. Sporting royalty. Hard to beat Gary Ablett and Gary Ablett Jr. Both were the best of their generation, says John from Miranda. Yep, fair old shout, that one. Um, Supercars has some family dynasty, as Crisco points out. Well, we've been through a couple of these, the names, Richards, Perkins, Johnson, Kelly. So we touched on Dick Johnson, Stephen Johnson, now Jet Johnson, um, Jim Richards, Stephen Richards, Larry Perkins, Jack Perkins, and, of course, the Kelly clan as well with Todd and Rick. And I think Rico's young bloke is uh, also... Now starting to get into driving. So, yeah, some certainly uh, some family dynasties. I mean, you find quite a few in the world of motorsport. Um, and there are plenty of, of father-son races in the world of motorsport. That's just been par for the course across across all uh, categories, in fact. This morning on Breakfast, SEN's Damien Fleming, of course, former Australian cricketer, spoke about the changes that he'd like to see. Now, we've touched on this survey that they've done and one of the things that they've popped out in the survey, not, not through Cricket Australia, it was done through the News Limited Press, one of those is about um, the, the disconnect with fans and the Australian team. They think it's no long-term disconnect, that winning is a key factor, that the Aussie team bears the brunt of the failings of Cricket Australia. Um, a little bit around Pat Cummins, he's in the middle of a generational divide, and I pointed out that these are all the things that you and I have been saying until we're black and blue in the face, but nobody appears to be listening. Well, Flem also goes on something else that we've been saying about the Australian cricket schedule. So let's have a listen to that. What I'd be doing is, particularly that we've got a 50-over World Cup in India next year. Once that's completed, for two years, just play less of it. 
because the next final's not for four years. So give that next two years clear space. And a little bit like the T21, we had consecutive years because of COVID, but, it, but it's every two years. So after the next one of that, for the next 12 months, just play less international T20 and let the domestic T20 comps go about it. I wouldn't want one of the forms to go. I'm a big music fan, but test cricket's a bit like the old vinyl, which is in and it's trendy these days. 50 over cricket's like the CD, which just has its its own particular taste. And then obviously T20s are like streaming services. There to get the quick fix now. You don't download the whole album. But I love how we've got a sport that, that I think can still facilitate three formats, but you've got to give it all clear space at times. It's a really good message with a little bit of spice thrown in. Test cricket's the vinyl. Uh, 50 over cricket is the old CD and T20 is essentially Spotify. However, the message is really, really clear. Just get some clear air back into the schedule. Stop bombarding us with a schedule that's jam-packed because it leads to fatigue. Well said, Flem. Here's the news. Yeah, where this morning Gonzalo Ramos made a name for himself even bigger. Uh, outside of, well, the Portuguese circles, he, he was put on in place of Ronaldo <clears throat> first up in that match. So Ronaldo had to sit out until, what, the 73rd minute in the end. And in comes Ramos this morning and scores a hat-trick as Portugal defeats Switzerland 6-1. If you missed it, Morocco and Spain finish nil all, but Morocco go through after winning the penalty shootout. So it's Morocco v Portugal uh, in that first of the quarterfinals on Sunday morning. That'll be followed by England v France. And then Saturday, uh, the Saturday morning ones, uh, Croatia, Brazil and Netherlands, Argentina. Uh, I believe we've got James from Hornsby on the line. My system's just crashed here. So we're good to go with James. Let's take his call. Good morning to you, James. Hey, Matty. Yeah, um, regarding the Socceroos and how they can benefit from it, my idea is um, it's two-part. One is they select, say, 30 now of 18, 19-year-old kids, 17 even, if you like. And then they go in for the next four years, because in the next World Cup, they'll be 22, 23, hitting their prime. But the next three or four years, what they do is they go in for a three-month intensive camp, like national camp. They choose those players, and they get the, the older, more experienced. You know, like, okay, they'll say, oh, we want the support. You know, they get Bosnich in. They get, they get Viduka in. They get them to come in every now, you know, for a week or two to coach them, intense coaching to increase them, their potential. And then you get the A-League teams, clubs, which I think are about, maybe championship in the English league, you know, the third tier or whatever it is there. And mm-hmm. you say to them, they can like sister up with the club over there. We'll sit, can we send you a couple of our young kids, 17s, whatever, go into your youth squads and reserves. They learn the intense pressure. And you send us a couple of your maybe 21, 22 year olds that you just want to toughen up and, you know, play against 28, 30 year olds instead of their own kids. And then they'll get better that way. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, you get the experience. I'm, I'm sure. That, yeah, absolutely. You get the experience. You get to play against, uh, uh, well, different different age groups for a start. You also get the, the experience from within and without the camp or externally from the camp and from different leagues as well. So I, I see all that and I'm sure that there's positives to that. But I, I would have thought that a lot of that's already in place. Anyway, James, but you're right. I mean, anything you can do to, to keep building, to find the next Garang Qual for the next World Cup, you'd be on it. 
And from what I'm seeing from the outside looking in, Football Australia appear to me to be on that case in particular across most of those as well. In terms of capitalising on, on the results and the, the love affair that Australia has had with the Socceroos over the last couple of weeks, well, that just essentially comes down to marketing, really. That, that's, that's kind of one way to look at it. But then there's how do we capitalise it from a sporting perspective, from a building the sport perspective, and we covered a lot of that yesterday. But I like your ideas as well, and I love the fact that you picked up the phone and given us a buzz. Good on you, James. Thank you for that final half hour of the program. Now, Tommy, you stirred up a hornet's nest with uh, Davey Warner and uh, your thoughts around that. But also, I, I did point out, you weren't tipping the bucket there. You were pointing out that there has been a bit of a lean run when it comes to... Uh, a century from D Warner. So we've had a fairly healthy discussion. Have you got anything else on the table that you, you'd like to vent this morning? You'd like to air this morning? Any well, it's concerns? Just, it's just facts don't care about your feelings, Matty. And that's all it is. It's just facts about David Warner. I love David Warner. He's very polarising, puts a lot of people offside. But this whole media's coming to get him, that there was a text there before. No, I'm just simply saying, if, if this was David Warner at 31, guess what? I wouldn't be having, I wouldn't have said what I said, Matty. Mm. But he's 36, and Usman Khawaja turns 36 in 11 days. And we've got our two most important tours coming up in 2023 where David Warner historically hasn't played well. The biggest knock on David Warner's career is that he's a flat-track bully, is that he can only score runs and big runs in Australia against the teams. Now, when he plays Australia, he's lights out. He's one of the best players we've ever seen. But overseas, apparently, or not apparently, historically, hasn't performed at the highest level or hasn't performed his expectations. And he knows it. He's spoken about this at length. He had an interview with Adam Gilchrist and Ishigua and Kerry O'Keefe on Fox's panel just a few weeks ago and said, I know I haven't performed. I st-. They asked him about his retirement. He, he said, I want to win a series in India. I want to win a series in, in England. And that's only going to happen if he performs to a high level. So that's all I was saying about David Warner. It's, the, it's an issue because of his age. And because mm. of his aging, and because next year is probably his last year in the test team. That's all. Oh, absolutely. And and what he said in that interview is is exactly what you want to hear. I mean, he wants to go and win those series. If the fight and the competitiveness is still there, you're a long way ahead of the game, in my opinion, with someone like David Warner in your lineup. Yes. However, father time's ticking, and and that happens to everyone statistics will be read out against everyone at some stage in their career, and that's the conversation that we're having. Did you get to see uh, Pepsi Where's My Jet? No, I haven't watched that yet. I haven't watched that yet. I was going to watch it this week. But, Matty, guess what? Father Time's undefeated. You know why? We saw the biggest example of that this morning. Cristiano Ronaldo, probably one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. Guess what? Benched from his club, and he got the flick, and benched from his country. So there you go. One of the greatest plays in any sport that we've ever seen historically is now time is now catching up with him, and the biggest rumor is that he's going to go to Saudi Arabia. So it, it catches up with everyone. We may have this discussion about Steve Smith in about five or six years. Well, who knows? Mark, why don't you why don't you bring come in on this one? Is is yes. it more about Cristiano Ronaldo's form slash age, or the fact that he's just having the biggest dummy Smiths spits of all time? Uh, I think it's a combination of both, but I think it is primarily his his age and form. He doesn't run anymore. It's it's it boils down essentially to that that he does not run anymore, and that was a big part of his game. He needs to be, he can be quick, but he just doesn't. He's just not. See, it sounds weird to call Cristiano Ronaldo lazy when you look at him, but he is. 
Um, there was a, a, a chat where the Burnley manager, Vincent Company, he used to manage Man City. He was on a, a TV program before one of the games and was asked, oh, would you would you take um, Man City? Would you take a, a, a Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldo at Burnley, a, a second division team? And he was like, no, he, he doesn't run. So no, I don't, I don't even want him at my second division team. Wow. And so the Saudis are going to give him. I saw that this morning. It's like 300 million or something. It's yes. something stupid. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. But it's that'll, be, that'll be him hey. flying in on the Friday night, flying out on the Sunday morning. Smarter than the average bear. He's managed to work out how to get you... How to get 300 million, fly in, fly out, and not have to run. Cristiano, come down to Sydney FC. Come to the A League. No, please don't. Come on, Cristiano. No, no don't. It would be a don't. sellout. It would don't. be a sellout every game at Allianz, would it not? Would it not? Talking about capitalizing on this Socceroos success, yeah. Yeah. you want the biggest draw card in sport right now, biggest headline act, Cristiano Ronaldo, come on down. But, Matty, well, just he looking. He didn't come out. He didn't come out when Man United, when Man United came out, did he? No, no he didn't. And, that, and yeah. historically, the best players really haven't come on those tours down under. I mean, they have been there have been out there have been outliers, but yeah. Um, but I was just going back on that father time kind of chat that we were having before. So, when as a player dipped late in their career and recaptured that form, like some of our best historical athletes, are you looking at have they still performed at age thirty five or older? So some of the names that first came to my mind: Tiger Woods won a Masters when he was what thirty nine. Um, you still got guys named Tom Brady. There's a lot of criticism, but he's still playing. Rafa, still killing it. He's 35. Joker, he's 34, turns 35 next year. Uh, a guy named James Anderson. Uh, James Anderson. There was a great stat that uh, Pat Cummins has, in his test career, has taken 201 wickets at an average of 21. James Anderson, since he turned 35, has taken 192 wickets at 21, at an average of 21, Matty. Just ridiculous. Uh, Cameron Smith in the NRL. Sustaining his success for as long he could have, he could still be playing right now, Cam Smith, and then LeBron James um, right now in the NBA has has dipped a little bit in the last few years, but he's still a top ten player in the NBA. So David Warner, can he recapture his form? Yes, I'm going to go with yes because I'm always going to back a champion. He's got four tests in Australia to he's got four tests left in this summer to prove it. One against the Windies, where they're the eighth ranked team in the world. This is the chance where you can. Get the runs, build up your confidence, build up your test average, and then it's against the second-ranked team on the test championship, ICC, and that's South Africa. Big three-test series. And for Dave Warner, I hope he recaptures that form. I want to see him back at his best. Is it a second coming for David Warner? Is there a final burst before he hangs it all up in the test arena? And hopefully there's a couple of more years left in that. And is uh, is that what we're facing? I, I hope so too. I'm with you, Tommy, because when he's when he's going... You're spot on. It's lights out. There's a ticket that you have to have to watch when he's in full ball, when he, when he is the bull out there. Nice work. Uh, we will take a break back after this. Welcome back to the program. Jimmy Smith is set to take over, of course, with Afternoons uh, coming up very, very soon. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> I like the suspense was killing me until All you right. turned on the microphone. Whew. Well, I'm under instruction here from Mark. He's sorting me out, which is fantastic. He's very demanding, isn't he? Like oh, he's, yes. He's very high maintenance. Like, oh, you've got to be in it this time, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. Yeah. Personally, I was still reeling from Tom Costigan trying to retire David Warner. Like, seriously, mm. what's, <laughs> what's going on there? Well, as one of our listeners pointed out, you know, doesn't he know that he's a Roosters supporter? And he's turning on his own, Tommy. 
I mean, we know Tommy's a Roosters supporter, but he's pointing out that Davey Warner's a Roosters supporter. Yeah, exactly right. However, in saying that, and, you know, what what you get on this program, what you get in the afternoons, is we, we just we get away from the agendas, we get away from the personal opinions, and we get to the facts, Matthew. We get to the facts. And you know yes. what the facts are saying? Tom has a point. <laughs> That's what the facts are saying. Yeah, yeah, which drives us nuts when he's got a point. Um, no, exactly, but right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he is right. I, I said this the 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 worrying one for me, and I'm certainly no you know no test batting expert. But the worrying one for me was the chop on in the first innings when he got out for five. He, he went searching for it a couple of feet outside of off stump, and the timing wasn't there. And bingo, ricochets back into his stumps, and he's gone for five. And then thereafter, they come out and cash in. There were runs galore to be had there, and that that was the worrying sign. For me, it doesn't mean that his test career is over. It means that there's a little bit of, oh, I don't know, a little bit of work to do. Well, the other thing about it is, too, he's 36, as, as Tommy pointed out. So, you know, which, which sports person improves from that point? Here's the problem with Davey Warner. And this was going to be the way for – if you'd have said this for Steve Smith, it was going to be the way up until February this year when he decided to change his technique. When David starts getting out and goes through a run of outs, he's going to have some ugly outs. Because, in, like, you know, he's relied on hand-eye coordination for the entirety of his career. He is not Ricky Ponting. Remember, Ricky Ponting has had beautiful technique. And, and in the end, even his great technique wasn't able to overcome the deficiencies that he had physically. Remember, he fell over in that. It was at Adelaide mm. against Jacques Callas. And it just looked really ugly. David's going to get out in ugly ways because his foot doesn't go to the pitch of the ball. His foot movement is not great. But his bat speed and his hand-eye coordination, and they'll be the things that leave him. So it, it's going to look awkward. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good point. I mean, it's it's funny, isn't it? That the thing that that lights you up as a player, and the thing that had so many of us invested in his talent and continues, which is exactly what you're saying—that hand-eye coordination, that that speed through the ball, everything there will be the stuff that goes, just because that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens to athletes. That's, that's right. It, it, it happens to everyone. Some it happens mm. slower than others, but it happens to us all. I've got, a, I've got some nominations for your the family. The family tree? Yeah, the family tree. I was listening this morning. I like it. I like it. Uh, hard to go past the Smiths. Uh, which, which Smiths? Well, Darren, just... Steve, Wayne, Jason, <laughs> Brian, Rowan, Tony, <laughs> Alan, Cam, <laughs> yeah. Cam. Cam squared. You could have just Cam. done Cam and Cam. And Cam we and Cam. There. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, the Smiths have got everyone covered. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Uh, the Whites. The Whites, who have you got? You got Barry White, great entertainer. Batty. Didn't get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you're an oh. entertainment family, not a sport. Right. Betty White, Barry yeah. White. Yeah. Uh, kind of ends there, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Matty White <laughs> comes to a screaming halt. Have you ever done your your family tree, your I, ancestry? I, I haven't, but I had an aunt that did it, and and right. yeah, really. So you know, back in the day, I don't know whether it was the same for you, but Irish Catholic, you know, like there's yeah. there's oh okay, well they had eleven children, um, and then they correct had, they had ten children, and it was like oh jeez, hard to yeah. keep track of. Yeah. Well, we're we're going over to the UK, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go somewhere I've never been before, which is Guernsey, the Isle oh, Island yeah? of Guernsey, which yeah. is where I, I assume he's my great 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 great, uh, but he was he was the white that ended up coming to Australia, and that's where they were from. 
Ah. So it, it is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be. It's. I've. I've been tracing things back on that side. We've done a little bit, but I. I wish there was somebody in my. And I think there is. I've just got to find them. Somebody in my family has done all the hard work for us. Right. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we want. Oh, What's coming up? I would have thought you were from the Isle of Wight. No. <laughs> no. 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 Well, you go back further, and then you're going into Ireland, and right. You know, it explains a lot, really. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, more top-class humour like that coming up for the next three hours. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> and um, Mal- Malcon, Xavier Cook, Simon <laughs> Wolf, and Jerry Condon. Have a good one. Thanks, mate. We are at the Checkered Flag, so a big show coming up uh, with Jimmy Smith. Uh, just off the back of Cristiano Ronaldo being, um, well, essentially sitting out most of the game t- this morning and Gonzalo Ramos being the new hero for Portugal um, Portuguese coach Fernando Santos has said it was strategic and nothing more the decision to leave his megastar out of the opening part of well, most of this match this morning. He said off the back two of Ronaldo having a bit of a dummy spit after being subbed out of South Korea, he said, I said that's closed and it was closed. He's one of the best players in the world playing professionally and as a captain, so we just have to think about this team collectively. I have a very close relationship. Ronaldo and I never confused the human and personal aspect with the coach and player relationship. He's a very important player to have in the team. So there you go, trying to put a line under that. But you think there's more to come when they play Morocco in the quarterfinals. Thanks for your company today. Enjoy the next three hours with Jimmy Smith. And we'll do it all again tomorrow morning. Bye for now.